Hello, Hello Horror Fanatics! I'm Frank. And I'm Jen, and we welcome you to our weekly podcast, Oh, the Horror! Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. So what do we got today, Jen? We have a, we got a doozy. Yeah. We have vampires. The vampires. The vampires. The the vampires we come to love and adore. Yes. And be a little frightful of. I mean, yeah, I guess. Do vampires scare you? No. No? No. People scare me. People scare you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just the frothy, fanged. I'm good with that. You know, you yeah. know what you're getting with a vampire. With a people? That's true. Could be benign. Mm-hmm. Could be maniacal. No, it's true. Could be a serial killer. Vampires. You never know. Vampires have themselves pretty laid out. Yeah. I mean, they're like, here's what we are. Yes. Here's what we do. Yeah. All the times. All of them. Yeah, not sometimes. Yeah, not sometimes. Not every other time. Mm. All of them. All of them. Yeah. I will take that every day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's weird how vampires have transgressed, though, throughout time. They really have... Okay. If you only look at vampires from, like, fiction or movies, it's all pretty consistent. Mm. But after having done the the deep dive on this and gotten into uh, the actual history, the way they started and how they are now. It's crazy. Yeah. I'm going to say 100% influenced by the novels. Yeah, yeah, that's... Because it, there are some clear, distinct differentiations from beginning explanation or description to modern Mm -hmm. explanation description it's safe to say that today vampires have never appeared more sensitive or romantic than right now enter twilight i think yeah yeah (laughs) i mean we'll we'll beg on twilight a bit but yeah but even even uh like true blood and stuff like that that's those of there's vampires and then there's vampire diaries Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. buffy buffy yeah yeah angel angel as well the vampires make uh appearances in supernatural charmed i think supernatural hung on at least to a little bit of the old vampire so to speak however yeah there was still that romanticism and and sensitiveness you know, I, sensitivity. The well, yeah, the with plight, Benny. Yeah, with but Benny, the, the yeah. plight of the mm-hmm. the vampire, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, earlier it was it was some disease ridden beast. Yeah. It's really what it was. All I, the old stories. Yeah. Centralized. They were a bloodthirsty monster. Yes. And it was disease ridden. Yes. Either they received the disease from something. Or they gave it. Or they were giving the disease. <laughs> yes. But it wasn't this plight. It wasn't this thing. It was just. No. Which I can't wait to get into in this episode. 
Yeah. There's, I'm going to say I thought I knew a lot about vampires. Yeah, it turns out not so much. That's kind of the, the ongoing theme for both of us with this whole thing. We yeah. generally have a great start going into something and we're, oh, yeah, no, I got a good handle. I'm going to nail this. This is what I want to <laughs> cover and I want to cover this and I want to cover that. Yeah. And, and then, then you get into it and you're like, what? Yeah. Like, this is a thing? Okay. Yes. And that's where I think I like where I see our content going with this because we follow what we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Versus just trying to act like we know everything on here. I I like what our approach, and it's not on purpose. Well, it just actually, happens to be. It kind of is because by doing these broad subjects yeah when we get into the more detailed and nuanced subjects correct all of this will make sense correct and it will have given everyone a foundation and at least an understanding when you get to these weird one-off people or the yeah i i also think with these general topics were I like the foundation we're laying on them to yes. understand future stories, which yes. is what you were alert yes. alluding to just now. I like that we're doing this type of format. Me too. Because learning early vampire, mid vampire, and current vampire. Yeah. Which current vampire will close out with because yes. that's a big discussion there. That, it is. That really kind of ties it all in. It does. In, in my opinion. Yes. And learning old current, like you know, old mid current. Yeah. Now hearing any kind of vampire story makes sense. Mm-hmm. Where before I had this cloudy illusion of yeah. what a vampire is or was. Yeah. We had all of our this. preconceived notions. Yeah. But. <laughs> Back to the vampire, I think what's I think what's really cool with a vampire, you really can't have any better food for the imagination than a vampire. True. I mean, it's a creature that incorporates sex, blood, violence, shape-shifting, superhuman power, and eternal life. There's a little something for everyone. That's a package right there. It is. And a lot of it is basically taking all of these stories. Everybody had to be new and inventive with the vampire. Mm -hmm. And I think as far as the writings of beasts, this one gets the most exposure by far of yeah. anyone. Yeah. And today we're, we are going through the path of basically the vampire stories. Yes. We're going to stay away from the movies quite yes. a bit. Yeah. Because the movies are a separate whole angle on this. And I think mm -hmm. that's what's neat about this topic is there's this whole other massive side yeah. that is not about the movies, but actual real stories. Yes. Real folklore legends. Yeah. That have been passed down for yeah. hundreds of thousands of years. And real people. Involving real mm -hmm. people. And yeah. I can say with total commitment, that's the direction we're going to take here at Oh the Whore every single time. 
if there are cool, real stories with real people, mm-hmm. we'd rather have the airtime on that yeah. than a movie that was made with a production crew yeah. and a, a, a writer, yeah. a novel writer. Mm-hmm. We'd rather go that route. Yes. Just seems more interesting for us. We're the ones punishing ourselves first with all this stuff and then carrying it on to you as the listener. We like the true stories. (laughs) That doesn't date you at all. No, not at all. So what do you got for a definition of a vampire? I have vampires are evil mythological beings who search at night for people to feed upon. They're the best known classic monsters and there are clear associations with Count Dracula from Bram Stoker's novel, Dracula, published in 1897. Mm -hmm. It's amazing with Dracula. Yes. Because there's the vampires and then there's Dracula. Yeah. And I noticed that reading and and doing a lot of research Mm -hmm. on this type of topic. There definitely was a line where it was vampires, vampirism. Yes. And And then... then there's everything after Dracula. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the the story that really focused on Dracula the most was Bram Stoker's, right? Yeah. He was the one that introduced the term he Dracula. He introduced Dracula. And that was inspired from Vlad the Impaler, correct? Correct. Yes. And the actual first use of the word vampire I get into later. Yeah. No, it's, I just figured we premise that Mm -hmm. because there's definitely, there was that line in the sand. Yes. With Bram Stoker Mm -hmm. actually inserting the name Dracula. And and I want to say even, I think it was Bram Stoker's that brought in Nosferatu as the name of of Dracula as well. I could be wrong on that. I have not read Bram Stoker's Dracula Mm. in forever. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, almost to the point where I barely remember it. Yeah, but... And I feel bad about that, but I didn't have time to go back and read it. Yeah. So someday, guys, I promise I'll read it, and we can do, like, a book club where we discuss Well, and that's where these these stories are going to become more focal points in whole episodes. Uh, A lot of this for us, getting into these general episodes, give us uh, room, too, to kind of figure out where we want to narrow down things. So it's been been fun for us in that regard. So do you want me to break down the main characteristics, and then you can get into... Yeah. Okay. We got the definition. Yep. So, so the main characteristics, so these would be the descriptions. These are this is what the we have symptoms, to, if you will. This is what we have to look out for. Correct. Yeah. One, they drink human blood. One A, subcategory, they drain the blood with sharp fangs. One B, again, same category, they are killing the victim and turning them into a vampire. Then we have... Their second characteristic, they hunt at night. The third is sunlight weakens their powers. The fourth, some are able to shapeshift to a wolf or bat. Then we have five, super strength. 
Six, they're often charismatic or hypnotic and sensual, and that captivates their victim, making them easy prey, Mm. if you will. And seven, they have no reflection in a mirror. And eight, they cast no shadow. It should be noted, however, that the, um, the, I'd have to say the charismatic, the no reflection, the casting no shadow, and the sunlight weakening, those are all correlations from Dracula, the book. Yeah. Gets back into that line. Yep. That was drawn in time. Yeah. A lot of those, you know, the whole Casanova type of character. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the reflection. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's general, the general, uh, the WebMD symptoms. Yes. Shall we say. Yes. Now, later, I will get into Supernatural, the series, mm. and their symptoms of vampires after we've gone through all of this so that you can see how theirs is more closely related to that older yeah. vampire. Yeah. Now, it's it's weird the path Dracula has taken. Yo, man. Because there was vampirism <laughs> and then there was Dracula. Just yeah. Just to get back to that yeah. now that we know all this. But Dracula got a bit famous. A Real bit. famous. You know, um, I forget how many of it was, but there was there was like 170 or so movies. And Dracula was featured as a main or lesser character. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's advertised throat lozenges, cat food, insecticide, pizza, security systems, and many other products. He's got a breakfast cereal. Count Chocula. I know. It's no Frankenberry or Booberry. Oh, I was a big Booberry fan. Oh, I loved Booberry. It tasted fantastic. It was so good. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It was tough because, like, the the box Count Chocula looked The best. Awesome. That looked like the best Yeah, let's be honest. You were immediately drawn to Count Chocula. If you were just going off of cereal cover art. Yep. That's it. You're like, dude. I'm going Count Chocula. Yes. And then you had that one friend that had booberry. Yeah. And you tried booberry and you were and like, you're like Wait forget a it. And I'm going to be honest, of the 3, his mm. is the weakest cereal. Oh, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, let's be honest, if we're talking about a ghost, uh a Frankenstein's monster mm-hmm. and the vampire, the vampire is the shit. So Yeah. yeah. He should have had the best cereal. You would think. Yeah. yeah. But. Not so. No. What else you got? Old Booberry. Well, again, dipping into the movie Small Time, where, you know, and I I was really shocked, 170 or so movies with Dracula. And then, I'm not. And yeah, but then you start looking. He was Blackula. Yep. He was Defula. Hard, of, hard of hearing. I, I didn't know that one. I didn't know it either. What was also interesting with Defula is Defula was the first movie to have sign signing. The, yeah. signing through the whole movie. It was the first ever. It was in like 1978 or 75 or something like that. See, I would have thought it would have been later than that. Yeah. Oh, so weird. Look at us. <laughs> yeah. Then there's Dragula. Yep. And Spermula, <laughs> the first porn movie with Dracula. 
You know, you can't. You know. Anytime I can fit porn in, I will. Well, yeah. I mean, he would be an excellent character for Well, again, it's the whole, you know. Essential. Sex, blood, violence, shape-shifting. You know. What's not to like? Superhuman power. And, you know, if that wasn't enough for you, how about some eternal life dabbled on there? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. He has met Billy the Kid, Abbott and Costello, the Hardy Boys, and Nancy Drew. There's also... And I just always hope I never uh, butcher this, but it's Bunnicula. 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 Yes. yes. The vampire rabbit who sucks plant juices. I had that book. Of course you did. <laughs> I read that book. Yeah. <laughs> it scared the shit out of me. Because <laughs> I was a little kid. I was like seven or eight and it had a rabbit on it. So yeah. I was like, this will be great. No, no, it wasn't. But it was Enter just, nightmares. But it was just plant juices. But again, yeah, but still, it's an evil rabbit. It's a you know, bitey rabbit. There's something really misleading with an evil rabbit. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those Monty Python guys will tell you all about it during the Holy Grail. <laughs> you know, yes. but the um, the tale has been spun through so many variations. So as always, what I like to do is figure out where the hell did all this start. And I had to go back far. I'm sure. This is the farthest I've had to go back with almost anything. And it's amazing because with the popularity of it, it makes sense that this story is older than damn dirt. Yeah. Yeah. And the earliest thing I could find was ancient Egypt circa 4,000 BC. So like yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Last week. Mm-hmm. And, uh. And the first story of this is an evil spirit fused with the flesh of Queen Akasha, mutated her heart and brain, and made her the world's first vampire. Akasha then turned her husband, King Enkil, into the second one, and their predations gave rise to the, the you know, the dark broad to come. Right. Now, it's funny because not only was she the first one, but instantly... Turned her husband yeah. into the second one. Well, yeah, because you know. she's not going to be alone. Yeah, laid all the groundwork for this type of story. Yeah. All in just one, yep. one little bit. One fell swoop. And uh, this creation myth represents many found throughout the vampire's fictional universe. A remarkable number of which coalesce in ancient Egypt, traditionally viewed as the cradle of all black arts. Mm-hmm. Which really a lot of the stuff came mm-hmm. from Egypt. Yeah. A lot of it was just born there, raised there, mm-hmm. nurtured there, mm-hmm. and and began to prosper there. And um, kind of makes sense, though. Yeah, yeah. Vampires were generally believed to cause epidemics. Then mm-hmm. again, this is the whole where things are transferred. You know, now it's the sensitive romantic one, and you know, yeah, like you're gonna want to be a vampire so we can go out and date. Be boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> That's where where it's come now. But before it was surrounded by disease and epidemics. And this is where fiction works created an ironic twist by having epidemics also spawn vampires, mm-hmm. which is the very famous novel in 1954, I Am Legend, which was the movie that Will right. Smith was in. Yep, And that's where, again, it, it's amazing how the vampire story can just switch on a 180 mm-hmm. at any given time. Because mm-hmm. for the longest time, it was 
The vampires were creating the epidemics. The vampires were the disease. They're creating the, the disease. And then I Am Legend comes around and says, well, I got to do something a little different with this. I can't tell the same stupid story that's been going right. on for 4,000 years. How about the vampires catch the disease? And, yeah. the, you know, and, and they, they do that. So I'm going to tell one story here, and then you have a, a whole uh, battery. Plethora. A plethora. I do. What is a plethora? Many. <laughs> Moss. Moss many. Moss. Many much moose in. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to tell the well-known legend of uh, Elizabeth Bathory. We're going to get into this. She's going to get her own her episode. Her own episode because... I have been chomping at the bit for her. Because... Uh, In 1560 to 1614, Elizabeth Bathory existed, and history is crowned the Blood Countess. And believe me, she deserves her own episode. She lives up to her name. She really does. Yeah. Yeah. uh, But I'm going to summarize, basically, because it's just a a very interesting story. Mm -hmm. And around 1600, Bathory reacted violently to the clumsy brushwork of a maidservant and struck her. Therefore, mm-hmm. bloodying her nose. Yep. And a drop of the blood fell on the countess's hand. Mm-hmm. The skin beneath it soon turned magically younger. And it's always magically. Yeah. It's never just kind of, sort of. No. It's bang, magically. You know. At this time, she's a 40-year-old widow, which I think needs to be said. Yeah. She wasn't young. No. I mean, we all know. I mean, let's be honest. At that time, forty's old. Forty is old. Oh yeah, sixteen hundred. Yeah, you're uh, knock knock knocking on. <laughs> you're in the. You're in like what I'd call the upper bracket. The upper bracket. That's yes. uh, but but it's also a point in time where looks matter yes. a little more. Yes, and not just outward looks, but inward looks. Yes, people get pretty pretty drawn into themselves and, and self-conscious. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to give old Liz Bathory every excuse in the book. But yeah. But at the end, uh, she's anxious to maintain her fabled but fading youth and beauty. And this instigated a decade of butchery, arranging for upward of, and we're going to clarify this in the episode topicked with her, 650 virgin girls to be killed and drained to replenish her rejuviating blood baths. Yeah. So she really well, kicked I it mean, up a notch. A, a bathtub is pretty big. So especially those tubs takes a lot of blood to fill it. Yeah. 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 Yep. She, uh, again, that's about as far as we're going to get into that topic. Yeah. Because that one will be coming up probably, I'd say, is that, is that slated for next month or is it the it month after? It could be at the end of next month Yeah. or beginning of End March. of February, beginning of March. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you got over there? Okay. So Bram Stoker's Dracula is said to be inspired by Vlad the Impaler. And Vlad's mm. name was actually Vlad Dracul. Yeah. Which... Kind of makes sense. And there will be a future episode to follow on Vlad. Mm. Vlad was born in Transylvania, Romania. 
He ruled Wallachia, Romania on and off from 1456 to 1462. He valiantly uh, fought off the Ottoman Empire, and his favorite way to kill his enemies was to impale them on a wooden stake. The legend is he enjoyed dining amidst his dying victims and dipping his bread in their blood. Mm. So the parallels of Vlad and Stoker's Dracula are both from Transylvania, both fed on or sucked the victim's blood, and both killed by driving a wooden stake through their heart. And it's implied that by him impaling his victims on a stake, that that's how you could kill the vampire. Yeah, yeah. So vampire superstition had its heyday in the Middle Ages when the plague was decimating entire towns. And plague left behind bleeding mouth lesions on its victims into the uneducated and the superstitious that automatically equaled vampire. Well, I think with the knowledge of that time, that wasn't a hard bridge to jump over. No. You know, I, I, this gets back to everything that we always talk about. The The knowledge then was so scarce. Mm-hmm. And everyone was left to their own devices. Yeah. Their own imaginations. Yeah. Their own creativity. Yeah. It's it's relevant. Yeah. I mean, it it is. When you're left to your own device, let's be honest, most of the time you're going to either leap to a conclusion or make the wrong decision. Well, and as we discussed before, just how humans have a hard time of handling random chance. Yeah. What makes it even worse in something like this is where it becomes more than coincidental. Yeah. Like say you have 10 victims and four of them have these frothy blood bleeding mouths. Exactly. Well, you now have, a lot of evidence mm-hmm. to feed those feelings and feel flame feed, those fires. Feed yeah. Those, those beliefs. Mm-hmm. Not a hard, uh, not a hard bridge to cross. So let's get into the story of Mercy Brown. And unlike the fictional Dracula, Mercy was a real person who lived in Exeter, Rhode Island and was the daughter of a farmer named George Brown. George lost most of his family, including Mercy to tuberculosis in the late 1800s. The community used Mercy as a scapegoat to explain their deaths. It was common at the time to blame several deaths in one family on the undead. The bodies of each family member were often exhumed and searched for signs of vampirism. When Mercy's body was exhumed and did not reflect signs of severe decay, the townspeople accused her of being a vampire and making her family sick from her icy grave. It should be noted she was buried in an above-ground vault in the midst of a New England winter. Of course she wouldn't have decomposed. Yeah. She froze. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so they cut out her heart, burned it, and fed the ashes to her sick brother, who, shocker, died shortly thereafter. That's weird. It's so weird how that would happen, right? Let's, let's cross back a step. So you have Mercy goes through all this weird stuff and they're and they're afraid. So Mercy that, just dies no, of tuberculosis. No, and that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. you know, for us it's tuberculosis. For them, it was weird stuff and Yeah, she got sick. Yeah. The whole family was sick. Crazy symptoms yep. and all that stuff. So 
what I what always interests me back in this time period and earlier time periods is there was no leap to go and burn the heart, cut the heart out. Yeah. Burn the heart. Yeah, no. Know. Feed it to the brother because it's surely going to cure him and, and of, feed it. Yeah. of this vampirism sickness that he has. Yeah. It's so weird. I mean. That, I mean, the things people do. <laughs> Wait, there's more. No. <laughs> yes. No way. Yes. Full of it. Yes. So vampires or a form of them are recorded in most cultures. And the term vampire was popularized in Western Europe after reports of an 18th century mass hysteria of pre-existing folk belief in the Balkans and Eastern Europe that in some cases resulted in corpses being staked, people being accused of vampirism, and variants in Eastern Europe were also known by Striga in Albania, Vrik, Golakas in Greek, and Strigoi in Romania. So, the Striga is a vampiric witch in Albanian mythology and folklore that sucks the blood of infants at night while they sleep and then turns into a flying insect, traditionally a moth, fly, or bee, and only the Striga herself could cure those she had drained. She's often pictured with a hateful stare, sometimes wearing a cape, with a horribly disfigured face and usually live in hidden places in the forest and have supernatural powers. She had a, a what stare? She had a hateful, hateful stare. Hateful stare, so she had resting bitch face. She did. <laughs> she did. Yeah. Yes. And turned into a, a moth, not a bat. No, but a, a moth, moth, a fly, or a bee. With resting bitch face. Yeah, which... I've seen many a bee, and I've seen many a moth. I've seen a lot of resting bitch face. Never on an insect, but hey, yeah, what do I but know? But even just resting bitch face, but I don't, I don't think they're sucking the blood out of infants or anything. Well, now you can look at the... Now I'm concerned. Now you can be like, yo, man, are you a striga? Where do you live? <laughs> Is you, it hidden in the forest? Do you work in a daycare center? Exactly. <laughs> 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 or I think more importantly, an orphanage. Nursery. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. That would be the real problem. <laughs> and if she wanted them really fresh, it would be. Uh, a nurse in the maternity ward. <laughs> yeah, in the maternity ward. Do you work in the maternity ward? You yeah. Know. <laughs> Let's give good happiness to all them happy new mothers. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So. Think about that at night. Yeah. So the Vricolacas is also called the Vorvolacus or Vordalakis, and they are harmful undead creatures in Greek folklore and in Salento Brucolaco. And it shares similarities with numerous legendary creatures, but generally is equated is equated with vampires in the neighboring Slavic countries. They eat flesh, particularly livers, rather than drink the blood. And its appearance is more like that of a zombie. Mm. Then we get into the Strigoi. In Romanian mythology, they are troubled spirits that are said to have risen from the grave, and they're attributed with the abilities to transform into an animal, become invisible, and gain vitality from the blood of their victims, which, let's be honest, of the three, this is the one that's closest yeah. to vampires. 
So the charismatic and sophisticated vampire of modern fiction and lore was born with the publication of The Vampire, spelled with a Y, by the English writer John Polidori in 1819. It was a highly successful story and the most influential vampire work of the early 19th century. Bram Stoker's novel Dracula was written in 1897, is remembered as the vampire novel and provided the basis of modern vampirism, even though it was published after a fellow Irish author's 1872 novel, Carmilla, by Joseph Sheridan Lafanu. So the vampire as we know it originates almost exclusively from early 18th century southeastern Europe when verbal traditions were recorded and published. They are revenants. Remember from werewolves that those are corpses that could be reanimated. Yeah, yeah, that would be the uh, another thing that I, I noticed too in just the timeline of things. This is also when the printing press... Mm-hmm was spinning up. Yeah. So that's when all of the verbal traditions. Yeah. All these verbal stories started written down written and down then published and, published into yep, and spread to everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. So they were considered revenants of evil beings, suicide victims or witches, but they could also be created by a malevolent spirit possessing a corpse or by being bitten by a vampire belief that in some areas, um, the legends became so rampant that it caused mass hysteria and even public executions of people believed to be vampires. They were usually reported as bloated in appearance, ruddy or purplish or dark in color, usually attributed to the recent drinking of blood. And blood is often seen seeping from the mouth and nose when one is seen in its shroud or coffin and its left eye was often open. Really? Yeah, because why not? So clad in linen and the shroud they were buried in, its teeth, hair, and nails may have grown somewhat, but fangs were usually not a feature. They were generally described as undead, but some tales spoke of them as living beings. So in keeping with werewolves, let's do Vampire 101. Mm. In Slavic and Chinese traditions, any corpse that was jumped over by an animal, particularly a dog or cat, was feared to become one of the undead. So. Really? Yeah. Just jump over it? Yep. Like, boop. Living or dead. When the body was on the ground. Yeah. If a dog or cat jumped over it, especially. Vampire. Yeah. Dude. Just case closed. Yep. Done. So if creative director were to jump over me. Well, you would have to be dead and laying on the ground. Oh, so it's dead. Yeah. Yeah. So when I pass. It says any corpse, corpse implies you're dead. Yeah. So, you know, they jump over you. Well, you know, I'm not going to care at that point. I'm dead. Yeah. Yeah. And a body with a wound that had not been treated with boiling water was also at risk. So in Russian folklore, witches or people who rebelled against the Russian Orthodox Church while they were alive mm. at risk of becoming a vampire. vampire. Yep. Done. Case closed. So let's let's get into preventing a vampire conversion 101. Yeah, because this is honestly, this is the 
This the is the important we need stuff. To know. We need to know. Yes, definitely. So the recently deceased loved one was buried upside down. Because apparently when you're upside down, you can't rise from your so grave. So this would probably be stomach down then, right? Uh, head down. Oh, that upside down. Like feet that up. or face down. Yeah, so on stomach or feet up. Yep, yep. So placing... It's got to be more than the six feet... Uh... <laughs> right? Well, think of it, though. It would be such a time... It would be such a space saver. Because mm. you just have to go always... six feet down... But you don't have to go six feet yeah, long. You're really crawling into the depths of my yeah. mind right now. Because okay. that's something I always wondered for the longest time is why yeah. we bury people laying on their backs. Yeah. Just for a space usage. Exactly. You could get three. Three for the price three of one. Three for the price of one. Yep. Yeah. And placing earthly objects like a scythe or sickle near the grave to satisfy any demons entering the body or to appease the dead to keep them from rising from their coffin. So in ancient Greece, they placed an obulus, which is a coin, coin yeah. in the corpse's mouth to pay the toll to cross the river Styx. Others claim the coin was intended to ward off any evil spirits from entering the body. They could just take the coin instead. Yeah. A wax cross and a piece of pottery with the inscription, Jesus Christ Conquers, were placed on the corpse to prevent it from becoming a vampire. How specific is that? It's pretty specific. Right? Okay. So in Europe, they severed the tendons at the knees, mm. and they placed poppy seeds, millet, or sand on the ground at the gravesite of a presumed vampire. And this kept the vampire occupied at night by counting the fallen grains. This falls into arithmomania. It's a mental disorder seen as an expression of OCD where individuals have a strong need to count their actions or objects in their surroundings. Sounds like Count Dracula from Sesame Street, right? (laughs) In this counting thing, it shows up again. Counting sheep? No, just, just this whole counting thing. Uh, 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 yeah. Uh, uh. So in China, a vampire finding a sack of rice would have to count every grain. Clearly. Mm. And the counting theme is encountered in myths from the Indian subcontinent, continent, South America, tales of witches and other evil beings or mischievous spirits. And then we get into identifying a vampire 101. Well, Back a second to the... Uh, counting? The counting, yeah. The count? What's what's interesting about that for me is it kind of made me think of werewolves when we were talking about mm-hmm. curing a werewolf. Mm-hmm. It just make them work hard yeah. through fatigue. Yeah. They'd be cured. Here, count these poppy seeds. Exactly. Which, I'm sorry, but guys, you know how small poppy seeds are. Picture yeah. them on, you know, your lemon poppy seed muffin. Yeah. Itty bitty. What makes you think? And okay, grains of sand. How how do they even know the vampire would see it? Or like millet. Or because care. millet is like already brown. Poppy seeds are black. Really, the only thing that would stand out would be sand because it would be lighter in color. Yeah. So I'm gonna take a step back. Okay. 
pump the brakes a bit. Okay. Here we have somebody that didn't really kind of follow the rules. Drank blood. Yeah. You know, created havoc. So here. Here's some poppy so seeds. So what would make you think <laughs> that they take the time to count your stupid fucking poppy seeds? Exactly. <laughs> People do stupid shit. You think? But, I mean, <laughs> if planted at the right time, it would be a lovely planting over the gravesite. Yeah. I mean, like jelly beans? Count jelly beans. Yeah. Because you would eat them because they're tasty. You, yep. One. One. Mm. Two. Two. Ooh, root beer. Especially if they're yeah. jelly bellies. Yeah. Forget it. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. there all night eating those beans. Yeah. All right. So identifying a vampire 101. A method to find a vampire's grave involved leading a virgin boy through a graveyard or church grounds on a virgin stallion, generally black, and the stallion would balk at the grave in question. And in Albania, the horse is white. Super specific. Yeah. Did we just read this before? I was talking to you about it before. Yeah. 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 And then holes appearing in the earth over a grave. Corpses thought to be vampires were generally described as having a healthier appearance than than expected. Mm-hmm. They were plump and showing little or no signs of decomposition. In some cases, suspected graves were opened. Villagers described the, the corpse vampire as having fresh blood all over its face. And evidence of an active vampire in a locality included death of cattle, sheep, or relatives and or neighbors. So folkloric vampires make themselves known by engaging in minor poltergeist activity, such as hurling stones on roofs and moving household objects. And this is my favorite one, pressing on people as they sleep. So sleep paralysis. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into protection from vampires 101. Apodotropics, which is items able to ward off revenants. Yeah. Garlic, branch of wild rose, or hawthorn. Mm. In Europe, sprinkling mustard seed on your roof. Really? Yeah. Others, crucifix, rosary, or holy water. Yep. And the vampire is unable to walk on consecrated ground. Example, church or temple. Church or temple, yeah. Uh, They can't cross running water. And mirrors when placed facing outward on a door. The mirror appears in Stoker's Dracula. And they had no reflection or didn't always cast a shadow. And it's not part of Greek lore. Stoker was the one to kind of bring up the... Absence of a reflection. Correct. Yes. And I don't know if this um, vampire cannot enter unless invited. Also stems from Is that written Dracula invitation? Or? Because after that invitation, they can come and go as they please. Oh, really? So you would have to say, you know, please come in. You know, like, so if this guy showed up at your door and he's like, hey, can I borrow some sugar? Yeah. If you invite them in and say, yeah, sure, come on in. I'll get it for you. Well, now you've given them an open invitation to come and go as they please. That's why they always tell you when cops knock on a door, you never open the door. Because <laughs> if you open the door, then they can come in 
and then they can just, you know, they can come uh, and go as they please. What's the story? They plant drugs all over your house. I don't know. You know, Um, they're like a crazy evil leprechaun or something like that. Though active at night, they weren't generally considered vulnerable to sunlight. Mm. So I think that being vulnerable to sunlight is more of the fictional version of a vampire. To a certain degree. We'll get into that a little later. So methods of destruction, 101. Yeah. Staking was the most common method, particularly in the Southern Slavic cultures. Sticking the wooden stake right through their heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ash was the preferred wood in Russia and the Baltic states. Mm. Hawthorne in Serbia and oak in Silesia. Aspen is also used as it was believed Jesus's cross was made of aspen. Oh, yeah. So aspen branches on graves of purported vampires would prevent their rising at night. Mm. Uh, staking is often through Let's the heart. Let's use the wood that the guy rose from death with. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, so and, we go back with Christ being the first uh, witch. Maybe could he have been the, the first, first vampire? vampire too? I mean, I mean, we could be checking a lot of boxes here with Christ. Check, check. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so in Russia, the stake went through the mouth, and that's in Russia and northern Germany, and in um, Russia, northeastern northeastern Serbia, the stake went through the stomach. Russia does stuff hardcore. <laughs> they sure do. Right through the mouth. Um, Holy cow! And piercing the skin of the chest would deflate. The bloated vampire. Mm. An anti-vampire burial. Bury sharp objects, such as sickles, with the corpse, and they would serve to penetrate the body if it decided to bloat when transforming to a revenant. So as the balloon blows up. Yep. Yeah. Um, decapitation. Um, it's preferred in German and Western Slavic areas. That's an old classic. The head is buried between the feet, behind the buttocks, or away from the body. And this action made the soul leave the body. As in some cultures, it was believed the soul lingering inside the body is Mm. what caused it to rise. The vampire's head, body, or clothes could be spiked and pinned to the earth to prevent the rising. The Romani people drove steel or iron needles into the heart and place bits of steel in the mouth, over the eyes, ears, and between the fingers at the time of burial. Hawthorne in the corpse's sock. Mm. And they drove a hawthorn stake through the legs. An archaeological find in 16th century Venice in a grave, a brick in the mouth of a female corpse was interpreted as a vampire slaying by the archaeologist that discovered it, in 2006. <laughs> in Bulgaria, over 100 skeletons with metal objects such as plow bits embedded in the torso have been discovered. Wow. Yeah. So. The Balkans had a big period. <laughs> they did. They really did. They did. They, they, they had a big period of vampirism. So further measures, you could pour boiling water over the grave Or you could do a complete incineration of the body. In the Balkans, a vampire could be killed by being shot or drowned, repeating the funeral service, and then sprinkling holy water on the body or an exorcism. Mm. In Romania, garlic is placed in the mouth. And until the 19th century, 
they shot a bullet through the coffin. Yeah. For resistant cases, the body is dismembered, pieces burned, mixed with holy water, and administered to family members as a cure. Member Mercy Brown? Yeah. Yep. And in Saxon regions of Germany, they placed a lemon in the suspected vampire's mouth. I don't know why. I don't think, I think they know uh, why either. Yeah, I think at those points, and this is something we'll clarify a little later, I think people were just going for broke. <laughs> They're all in. No, there was a lot of stuff going on, and I think people just were... They just tried all the things. They're like, one of these things one has of these to things stick. It's going to stick on the wall. And, and then you know, we'll just... But till then... We'll just repeat it ad nauseum. Yeah. And we'll, we'll be good. Yeah. So let's get into ancient beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, the ancient beliefs were that vampires were supernatural beings consuming the blood or flesh of the living. And they've been found in nearly every culture around the world for many centuries, though the term vampire did not exist in ancient times. Blood drinking and the like were attributed to demons or spirits who would eat flesh and drink blood. Even the devil was considered synonymous with the vampire. Yeah, yeah. So in India, tales of Vaitala, ghoulish beings that inhabit corpses, were compiled in the Batal Pachisi. It's a prominent story in the Katasarasuga, and it tells of King Vikramaditya and his nightly guests, to capture the elusive one, which is Pisaka, the returned spirits of evildoers or those who died insane bear resemblances to vampires. Persians were one of the first civilizations to have tales of blood-drinking demons. Creatures attempting to drink blood from men were depicted on excavated pottery shards. Ancient Babylonia and Assyria had tales of the mythical Lilitu, And this is synonymous with and gave rise to Lilith and her daughters. The Lilu from Hebrew demonology are Lilitu was considered a demon and was often depicted as subsisting on the blood of babies and estries, which are female vampires of Jewish folklore believed to prey on Hebrew citizens. Female shapeshifting blood-drinking demons who roamed at night among the population seeking victims. According to Saphir Flasidim, estries were creatures created in the twilight hours before God rested. An injured estri could be healed by eating bread and salt given to her by her attacker. So in Greco-Roman mythology, empuse are shape-shifting female beings possessing a single leg of copper commanded by Hecate in late antiquity described as a category of phantoms or specters thought to seduce and feed on young men. Lamia, child-eating monster and in the later tradition was regarded as a type of night-hunting demon. In earlier stories, Lamia was a beautiful queen of Libya who had an affair with Zeus. Upon hearing this, Zeus's wife, Hera, forced Lamia to eat her own children, the offspring from her affair, and afflicted her with permanent insomnia. Zeus took pity on her and gave her the gift of prophecy and temper, and to also temporarily remove her eyes to relieve her sleeplessness. Mormo, 
female spirit whose name was invoked by mothers and nurses to frighten children to keep them from misbehaving. She was originally a woman of Corinth who ate her children, then flew out, and described as a female specter, phantom, or ghost by modern commentators. Strigus, Strix, or Strixes, it's a bird of ill omen, the product of metamorphosis that fed on human flesh and blood, also referred to witches and related malevolent folkloric beings. Over time, Empuse and Lamia became general words to describe witches and demons, respectively. Empusa was the daughter of the goddess Hecate and was described as a demonic bronze-footed creature. She feasted on blood by transforming into a young woman and seduced men as they slept before drinking their blood. The Lamia preyed on young children in their beds at night, sucking their blood, as did the Geludus, or Gelo, female demon or revenant, who threatens the reproductive cycle by causing infertility, miscarriage, and infant mortality. Like the Lamia, the Striges feasted on children, but also preyed on adults. They were described as having bodies of crows or birds in general, and later incorporated into Roman mythology as Strix, a kind of nocturnal bird that fed on human flesh and blood. Origin for the bat, maybe? That's what I was saying. Like, is that the origin of the uh, the whole bat story? I think so. I think so. A lot of, uh, lot of feeding off infants. A lot of it. Lot and of I that. think they use that as a reason for the high infant mortality. It, it couldn't be that... You know, they were just malnourished or sick. It surely had to be, no, it had to be some or sort of monster. Fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the earliest recordings of vampire activity came from the region of Istria in modern Croatia in 1672. Local reports cited the local vampire, Juri Grando, of the village Kringa as the cause of panic among the villagers. A former peasant... Yuri died in 1656. Local villagers claimed he returned from the dead and began drinking blood from the people and sexually harassing his widow. Like, okay. The village leader ordered a stake be driven through his heart, but when that method failed to kill him, he was subsequently beheaded with much better results. Yeah. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. Yeah, and that story... I mean, we have to blow past that because there's a. I have more questions than, <laughs> than I have answers. answers yeah. Like sexually harassing his widow. Yeah. What does that even mean? Oh, that's that whole. Oh. God, he just won't leave me alone. <laughs> even in even in death, death he won't yeah. leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So during the 18th century, there was a vampire sighting frenzy in Eastern Europe with. Frequent stakings and grave diggings to identify and kill potential revenants. This included government officials. Despite being called the Age of Enlightenment, when most folkloric legends were quelled, the belief in vampires increased dramatically, resulting in a mass hysteria throughout most of Europe. Panic began with an outbreak of alleged vampire attacks in East Prussia in 1721 and in the Habsburg monarchy from 1725 to 1734, which spread to other towns. Two infamous vampire cases, the first to be officially recorded, involved the corpses of Peter Blagojevich 
and Milo Sekar from Serbia. Lagijovic was reported to have died at the age of 62, but returned after his death, asking his son for food. When the son refused, he was found dead the following day. Lagajovic supposedly returned and attacked some neighbors who died from loss of blood. In the second case, Milos, an ex-soldier turned farmer who allegedly was attacked by a vampire years before, died when hanging. After his death, people began to die in the surrounding area, and it was widely believed Milos had returned from the dead to prey on his neighbors. Mm. So let's get into the supernatural vampire lore. No reflection in a mirror is the Bram Stoker invention. Yep. Same as turning into mitts. Crosses won't repel them. Sunlight won't kill them. They do sunburn quickly, and they don't like to be outside in daylight. They drink blood to survive. Beheading is the only way to kill them. Dead man's blood will poison them and slow them down. And they nest in small groups of 8 to 10. They send out smaller groups to hunt. Victims are taken alive back to the nest. Do they walk in single file to hide their numbers? Maybe. Are they like the sand people? <laughs> Maybe. No. And they are kept alive as long as the vampires can restrain themselves. Mm. And that's what I got. It's nice. Yeah. I still can't get over... Uh, the counting grains? The inf- <laughs> Yeah, that. But the infant... Uh, the infant? The infant yeah. side stuff? Infanticide? Yeah. 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 It's pretty revealing. I mean, yeah, it is. It's some weird stuff to read into. It's so weird. The, it's so, the roads so that goes down. Some of them all have the commonalities. Some of them have some different things. Yeah. Russia's hardcore. The Balkan, there was a period in the Balkans, and that's what I started digging up. And it was around 17, let's see, in, in Hungary. It was from 1721 to 1728. And the vampire epidemics erupted shortly after. Mm -hmm. So basically, medicine in recent decades has stepped forward to offer explanation of vampiric origins. Mm -hmm. And one of the most frequently cited medical causes, and I'm a huge follower of this idea, is rabies. Mm Mm-hmm. Dr. Juan Gomez Alonzo made a correlation between reports of rabies outbreaks in and around the Balkans, and especially a devastating one in dogs, wolves, and other animals that plagued Hungary from 1721 to 1728. Mm-hmm. And wolves and bats, if rabid, have the same snarling, slobbering look about them that folklore ascribed to vampires as would a human being suffering from rabies. Mm -hmm. So various other symptoms reinforce the rabies vampire link, which I found pretty interesting. Dr. Gomez Alonzo found that nearly 25% of rabid men have a tendency to bite other people. That's a lot. Yeah. And that almost guarantees transmission. Yeah. As the virus is carried in in saliva. saliva. Mm Mm-hmm. So rabies can even help explain the supposed aversion of vampires to garlic because infected people display a hypersensitive response to any pronounced sense of smell stimulation, mm-hmm. which would naturally include pungent smell of garlic. Mm-hmm. 
Rabies may also harbor the roots of the vampiric fear of mirrors. I didn't see that one coming until I started reading into this. Mm -hmm. And it's not a, like, direct correlation. Right. However, the strong odors or visual stimuli trigger spasms of the face and vocal muscles of those with rabies. And this is in turn, turns and induces hoarse groans, bared teeth, and a bloody frothing at the mouth. So you, the big question is what rabies sufferer would not shrink from such a reflection? Yeah. So Dr. Gomez Alonzo stated in the past, a man was not considered rabid if he was able to stand the sight of his own image in the mirror. And that's where they, I think the Bram Stoker did. Yeah. The no reflection of mirror. And I kind of look at how an author wants to do their own take on things. Yeah, do their own thing. So I think there was this whole mirror thing before. So how can I make it different? How can I put a Stoker name on it? How you can know? I put my take? Yeah. How yeah. can I How can I Stokerize this idea? <laughs> Is that what we're going to call it? Stokerizing? We could. <laughs> Rabies might furnish yet a third explanation. And this one's for the vampire's nocturnal habits and erotic predations. That's because the disease affects the centers of the brain that help regulate sleep cycles and the sex drive, keeping you up all night, quite literally, as some reports suggested that rabies victims had intercourse. Are you ready for this? Up to 30 times a night. (laughs) Dude, just get off me. So, Uh. like, before French (laughs) microbiologist Louis Pasteur discovered a vaccine for rabies, this was the ultimate outcome of the disease. It was mania, dementia, and death. Mm -hmm. And the vaccine for rabies was in 1885. Yeah. That's not long ago. No. So there's this whole period from where I started at 3000 BC. Yeah. That's 3,000 to zero, mm-hmm. and then zero to 1885, where rabies was a problem. A big Well, problem. they didn't know it was rabies. It was vampires. No, Duh. But, but like you see where these rampant outbreaks yeah. come up, and there are these crazy stories, and it gets back to the whole, well, put a lemon in their mouth. You know, it's like, at this <laughs> yeah, point, exactly. people have got to just be like, I, I don't Throw know. Throw some mustard seeds. I don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, and there's the one person that's complaining, well, we got to do something. It's like, well, then what do you want to do? I'm all put a lemon in its mouth. <laughs> I really think yeah. that's what was going on here. Yeah. 30 times a night. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. In your best years, were you were you knocking out thirty times a night? That puts Wilt Chamberlain to shame. <laughs> and here's the thing: it transmitted through saliva. Uh huh. So all these people just jackrabbiting all over the place are getting this. Yeah. And it's just insane. And so you cut out their heart, you burn it, and you feed it to them, and you're good to go. At some point, you know, you got these people frothing from the mouth. Yeah. And they're just, you know, just, you know, just wailing on people. I mean, obviously even kids were, you know, yeah, just, yeah. I, I can't imagine 
Like people talk about how crazy times come and go. I can't even imagine that kind of mania. No. On a widespread level. No. No, sir. And the, and it just, I, I can't even conceptualize <laughs> that kind of mania. Well, I mean, I, it's it's it was a different time. No, and people don't yeah. really realize some of this stuff. And this yeah. is stuff that no one really talks about. No. They don't want to talk about it. No. And I don't understand why they don't want to talk about it because, A, it happened. And it's fascinating. And this part of it, it well, what it does, it makes me enjoy today. Yeah. You know, where I can just go to work, do whatever I got to do, and, and I don't have these problems. <laughs> no, you Not don't. even me having these problems, but just seeing yeah. it in my periphery. You nope. Know? No, not at all. But if rabies doesn't persuade you of vampirism's physiological underpinnings, there's always porphyria. Mm-hmm. It's a rare genetic disorder leading to a breakdown in the production of, now, I've heard a couple, I heard it's heme. Hema? The, yeah, like there's hema or, or I've heard heme, mm-hmm. the red pigment in blood. Mm-hmm. What do we want to decide, heme or hema? I like hema. You like hema? Okay, I do. I'll proceed with that. So carried by one in about every 200,000 people, Porphyria typically lies dormant in the bloodstream. Once it awakens, however, it makes the skin hypersensitive to sunlight, mm-hmm. causing lesions so severe they may destroy the sufferer's nose or fingers. Um, gum tissue wastes away, making teeth appear more prominent. That's Enter where the, fang. The, the kind of fang-like yep. presence. And some of the victims may even grow hairier, which kind of Werewolf crosses over to werewolves. Uh huh. Check that episode out. It's a good episode. Yeah. yeah. I like that one. Yeah. It's uh it's one to howl about. We Sorry. had our first would you rather in that episode. That's true. Too. It's true. And you'll have to listen to it to find out. Mm-hmm. We're yes. not gonna give up that kind of information. But it does have to do with this episode. It does. Yeah. It's easy to uh imagine how such a victim able to move about only at night might be taken for a werewolf or a vampire mm-hmm. in this type of striga striga you know the <laughs> the hema uh injections help alleviate the symptoms today this is something that people experience today mm-hmm. this isn't something back then it isn't one of those old it's ancient still a diseases thing. it's still a thing but the the injections help alleviate the symptoms but medical professionals speculate that the afflicted individuals in times past might have been driven by instinct to drink blood. Mm-hmm. If they ingested enough of it, they would get the hema from the hema might be absorbed directly yep. into the bloodstream through the stomach wall. So, in porphyria, as an epidemiological rationale for vampirism, offers this bonus. So, too much garlic is known to destroy the functioning of hema in the liver. So, a porphyria. Victim believing himself to pray to a vampire and therefore move to surround himself with garlic might by that very action inadvertently trigger the latent porphyria in his own loved ones mm-hmm. because the disease runs in families. Right. It's hereditary. Yep. So once he died and his relatives sickened in turn, it might look to all the world like the handiwork of a vampire. Yep. So all this stuff starts connecting the dots. Yep. And the latter being widely 
supposed to prey on their next of kin. Right. And that was the thing that I found interesting with werewolves and and vampirism is it all seemed to be kind of a family struggle yep. more than like a community struggle. Mm-hmm. The family, like if somebody had one of this stuff, people in the family were like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And it wasn't just because of what people in the town were going to say. There was a right. larger fear at work here mm-hmm. of catching something, getting something transmitted, or the family's cursed. Don't get your vampirism yeah. on me. Ew. Sit over there. You're so gross. So then there's Pelegra, first recognized in 1735. Pelegra results from a deficiency of niacin and tryptophan, usually caused by a diet overly dependent on maize or corn. Corn was planted widely across uh, southern and eastern Europe, where the climate was warm enough for it to flourish. And that's where Pelegra became endemic. One of the disease's early symptoms is hypersensitivity to light. The skin becomes inflamed, then turns scaly and parchment thin. Uh, Pella egra is Italian for rough skin. The breath turns foul, while the tongue thickens and blackens from bleeding sores. Mm-hmm. Good times. It sounds sweet. It's, a, it's the gift that keeps on giving. You think? Your brain neurons degenerate, leading to unpredictable behavior. This is insomnia, irritability, dementia, violence. Do you get bitey? Well, yeah, the whole violence end of it. That's the... So what's the worst thing I think of? And, and just to, to, left, uh, to end out, diarrhea brings on weight loss, refers, uh, refusal of food, and anorexia. And if you're left untreated... This is invariably fatal. And in the few years before dementia leads to death, the anemia caused by the gastrointestinal bleeding lends its sufferers an undeniable look of the living dead. Yeah. It's a wasting disease, yeah. basically. And it's the main reason for identifying a person as a vampire. This goes back to the old stories compared to the new stories. Yes. The new stories, the, the vampires, the embodiment of beauty and yes you know beautiful skin mm-hmm. and and there was that turn in fictional stories that brought this on to a certain degree the old stories it was this whole wasting thing yeah and somebody was rotting away yep. but somehow they were dark they were ruddy they were purple in color smelled terrible yep. and gross reacted weird to things yep. that normal people wouldn't and that went on for a long time mm-hmm and I think the whole life thing was is they just wouldn't die. They just keep going. <laughs> yeah. So it looked like this person that just lived forever and just wouldn't die at all. And people who call themselves, uh, well, I, yeah, and that's, that's where I look at a lot of this. It was a, just this disease-ridden group of people mm-hmm. that you couldn't really call anything on them you couldn't give them a name so yeah this vampire vampirism well medicine was stick. you have ghosts in your blood well yeah well like i said i you know rabies uh vaccine yeah was literally oh what the 18, hell was 18 18 uh 1885 or something like that yeah 1885 for rabies yeah 
creative director Dean. <laughs> it's very thirsty. Directing creatively. Yeah. So people who call themselves vampires do exist today. They sure do, even though modern science has silenced the vampire fears. Yes, and this was something that I knew of, but yeah. I didn't know that it was big, as big as it is. Is Yeah. Which, I mean, doesn't surprise me, but, you know, they're, they're normal-seeming people mm-hmm. who drink small amounts of blood in an effort in their words, to stay healthy. Yeah. It's a, a you know, for a terrible term, because I just have to say it, it's a new age health trend, <laughs> which all of them would shake their heads and call me a piece of shit. And you know what? You're, uh, it's all natural. You're correct. Uh, I don't really have much judge on, on people on this realm. If there's consenting adults at work, I don't really, uh, people don't get in my way. But uh, communities of self-identified vampires can be found on the internet and in cities and towns around the world. Yep. And to avoid rekindling vampire superstitions, most modern vampires keep to themselves and typically uh, conduct their feeding rituals, which include drinking the blood of willing donors in private. It's been said that the blood brings a rush of energy. Yes. Now, again, it's a lot of health things. I, I, it's weird. I read some third-party articles. I'm not going to get into names, and I'm not even going to get into the names of the people they talked about. Mm-hmm. That stuff's out there. If you want to read it, go for it. Check yeah. it out. However, a lot of them have done kind of self-studies on their own groups of people, mm-hmm. and they've all noticed that they all have some sort of health issue. Yeah. They, they each have... Something. Something. And they're turning to this... As a solution. As a solution. And Guys, I, I don't know if you know this, but we have these things called doctors, and they they go to school, and they learn about all of these diseases and symptoms, and there's, like, these things called tests that they can run. And, you know, you go in, you say, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm suffering with. And then tests follow, well, and then you get an answer. Here's the thing, though. That works a lot of the times. But some people do fall in the cracks. And this is where I kind of empathize with this type of person. I really do. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I went through my issues with problems with memory and things mm-hmm. to that regard, and we ultimately found out that it was sleep. But think about it. Look at how much money I spent yeah. in the healthcare system. Yeah. Of doctors, and we're talking specialists, the yep. best specialists there were mm-hmm. for neurological issues and things yeah, like that. Yeah, you went to neurologists. I, you oh, went yes. to psycho, uh, uh, what was it? A, a, a neuropsychotherapist? No, a neuropsychologist. Neuropsychologist. I actually yep. saw two neuropsychologists, and, yep. the, and the second one told me that you already saw the, like, best. the best guy there yeah. is. You know, and and I went through all of that, and that was thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. taking all these tests, getting all these scans, PET scans, and yeah, and then to find out that it was just sleep yeah, through a pulmonary person, mm-hmm. a pulmonary specialist, and get hooked up to a CPAP. Yeah. So I get, the, I get the plight and the struggle of people with health problems. Yes. The doctors today, I think, you know, and I'm not going to blame doctors, because doctors have, they have what I'd like to say is the card. Yeah. 
and they go through the steps. Yep. And what you're really hoping is, is that you fall under one of those steps. Right. Because not only can they identify it, but they can treat it. And I think some of these folks, because here's the funny thing. The people who are calling themselves vampires today, a lot of them are very smart, well-educated. They're not just kind of the, the crazy kook that's down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a, a, a great career, a great job. They're very knowledgeable on things. Mm-hmm. But I think, and this ties back to the whole history of vampirism for me. The, I think the blood does bring this rush of energy. And I think if you're not feeling well, that rush of energy makes you feel well. And this is where Possibly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a bold statement out. And you're going to hate, hate, go for it. But this sounds more like a drug addiction. Yeah. To me. It definitely has the, um, the addictive tendency. It has the features. Yes. And it has the features and traits of an... Of a substance addiction. Correct. I'm not going to say drug addiction because, well, yes, you know. I think substance is But it's a substance, a substance yes. addiction. And if you're not feeling well, mm-hmm. and that's a very general statement yes. that I'm going to throw out. Yep. Whether it's physical. Emotional. Emotional. Spiritual. Spiritual. Exactly. Yep. However, when you have a little bit of blood and you feel this connectiveness mm-hmm. and everything's coming together Mm -hmm. that's to me substance related because you're you know you'll hear this from me a million times you're missing the big picture why are you feeling that way in the first place exactly if you're depressed why are you depressed you need to work on that yeah if your stomach is bothering you well then you need to figure out why your stomach stomach is is bothering bothering you you. and it might be because you're depressed yeah or, or it, might be, it might be that you have some sort of vitamin deficiency or yeah, you might yep. have, you know, but you have to go through the all of these steps yep. to get rid of the stomach problem. Yes. You know, you might have Crohn's. Yeah. And there's a whole set of steps for that. <laughs> You're still going to have stomach problems. Right. But there's other steps and things to navigate through. And I think that this is this part of it. And I think what... What we're feeling is is the the we're feeling the benefit of having a very well structured cultural society. Well, okay, I'm gonna throw this out. What if your willing donor has an affliction of their own? Yeah. You know, a lot of these things are bloodborne illnesses. So, okay, what if you have that initial rush? from this mm-hmm. fresh blood and then oh you know what i don't feel so great now so clearly i need more what if it's that blood that's actually making you sick yeah or the blood store no yeah. and, and every medical professional yeah stays on this they're, yes they're like this is really the worst way you could you can treat yes exactly anything. however people do what they do and once also people true. are justified in what they're doing, yeah. it's a hard road yeah, to you can't turn, turn away around. from it. It's a hard road to turn around on. Yeah. And what I find, and this is where I go back to society and culture are at a very different spot now. Yeah. So for example, and this is where I look at it being a bit different back in the day. 
Mm-hmm. And when I say back in the day, I say 3000 BC, yeah. 1600, 1300, back in those days. You didn't have this consensualness that you could get today. Right. Where, you know, because there is literally like a, uh, it's it's like a bill of rights document they do where this is the donor's rights. They have this stuff drawn out. Yeah. And you write out this contract saying, I'm going to be your blood donor. And, you know, I'm saying that I'm willfully doing this and right. that I'm will. And that's where I say like consenting adults, I don't right. get in the way with. If, if there's somebody that's that wants jam. to drink blood mm-hmm. and there's another person that says, hey, look, I'll sign, your I little, have blood. I'll sign your contract. I'll give you my blood. You two go at it. You, get, you two have the greatest. Just hope one of you doesn't have rabies. No, no. I just don't care. Even if yeah. one has rabies. You, you're yeah. doing your own thing. Yeah. Now, the thing is, is, if somebody does get rabies, then that bothers people around. Because now, you know. Yeah. There's a 25% chance you're going to bite someone. And also, you're going to be fucking screwing for 30 times a night. Yeah. Because you can't sleep. Yeah. Then it becomes a, a, a people problem. It does. But it just does look like substance abuse to me. Yeah. And here's the thing is it it looks peaceful and it looks cool now, but take away that societal acceptance of doing a document or whatever. Like what if, what if someone, you had this person that's been consuming blood for 10 years Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden for some reason, societal, cultural, whatever, it's no longer accepted. Right. And people are going to say, no, you know, I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't, I yeah. can't be a donor. Now you're going to see all these weird things that used to happen in the past. Yep. Because people got to get their fix. Because now it's, that's where I look at it as it's a substance. Yeah. A substance addiction. And for the people now, I mean, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad they don't have to be going out in farms and gathering blood from goats and you know sheep and yeah or cattle or for the real high societal ones that had a lot of power and clout they could just get all these people right that are coming in it really like i don't want to tote on to conspiracy theories i just don't want to do it but where people talk about human trafficking and people missing and mm-hmm. things like that and you hear these stories yeah especially the blood countess with like 650 people yeah you really wonder. You have to stop and wonder. You got to just stop and at least entertain the idea for half a second that yeah. maybe Something's there going on. is something here. Yeah. Even still today. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got regular Joe, who's a uh, like a psychology professor or something like that, mm-hmm. and drinks blood, and he's got a contract with one of his students, or yeah, or the guy, the clerk that's down the road, and he, you know he gets tested, all that. If you have that one person that's doing that, and that one person can attest that there's like 200, 300 people that they know doing the same do that, thing, yeah. then you got to go also to the other side of the spectrum, yeah, of the like. The one that's like, I need to bathe in this shit every day. Yep. I need to drink it. I need yep. to have it. You know, need to have it. I need a glass with every meal. You know, yep. I, you have to open the door to that kind of concept in your mind. Yes. And, and just at least acknowledge the possibility of it. Yes. And that's what scared the hell out of me researching this. Yes. Because werewolves was a total different deal. Yeah. Witches was a total different deal. And I remember saying last episode, like, witches kind of really creeped me out because it got real. Yes. But this creeped me out because it got real, too. Yeah. And it just was real in the sense of, I get it. This is something that has been happening for 
ever. Forever. And now we're in the standpoint where there's people that are doing this now. Is it more civilized? Yes. Shocker. Guess what? It's not making you immortal. Well, no. But again, this is where people are just... Yeah. led down paths and and their own belief system's going to yep steer they're going to do what they things. do yep i remember watching my strange addiction yes and there was that younger woman yep. who drank blood yes and what was profound to me on watching that was she was convinced that she's doing right she yep. says i again it's a substance abuse attitude yep i know i'm doing right i don't care what people think yep. and i will get this any way i can yep she had a donor, and if her donor wasn't available, correct, she would go to, it was like a bodega, correct, and she would get, she I Animal think blood. she preferred pig's blood, yeah, but in a pinch she would make do yeah. with cow's blood, yeah. So now, yeah. let's get like a story like with her, yeah. What is going to happen to her if she couldn't? If that wasn't readily accessible. Yeah. Say she couldn't get the animal's blood. Yeah. Just going, yeah. excuse me, into a store. Mm-hmm. Or have a voluntary donor. Yep. Approach. How desperate is she going to get? And how is that desperateness, that, that how's that desperation yep. going to determine her outlook? And again, I look at that and as actions. the same yeah. as substance abuse. It's a weird, it's a weird deal. It is. And the thing is, is, it's not fake. It's real. Yeah. It's real. There's a lot of stories in uh, New Orleans. Yep. Where there's a huge presence of that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that do this. Yes. I'm not trying to steer, you know, drum up fear or anything like that. But there's a lot of people that do this. And yeah. they're, they're everyday, normal people yep. that do it. And again, I'm going to say it for the millionth time. If they're consenting adults and people are, are doing what they're doing. Well, it's all well and good while no they're consenting that. adults. No, that's what I'm saying. I have yeah. no problem with that. It's the same thing with drugs. But at some point, yeah, the consent could be taken from them. So what do you do then? No, and that's that's yeah. the thing. And for me, it's just always a concern of people just trying to figure out their lives and do better for themselves. Yeah. And the thing is, is a lot of us know this, but others don't. There's no shortcuts. No, there isn't. There's no shortcuts no. in life. At age 45, I've realized that more that one rule more than anything. There's not a single shortcut to anything. No. And everything you got to go through and conquer is going to take a lot of blood, sweat, and tears out of you. Yes. There's going to be yeah. effort involved. There's going to be a lot of effort, mm-hmm. a lot of trust and faith in mm-hmm. things, and you're going to come out of it different. Yes. You're going to come out of it different and you have no idea who that other person's going to be on the other side. Correct. But that's the price and the cost of trying to go this certain route yes. and fix something and correct something in your life or or just better yourself in a situation. Well, And this, I looked at, like I said, it all this works out well. Because it's consenting adults. But you yeah. take that away. Yep. And it's like drugs. Mm-hmm. Drugs is a great example of that. You take it away. That's why I say substance. Well, not even take it away. Make it unavailable. Because, mm-hmm. for example, drugs work out great for an addict when they have money. Yes. There's really not a problem there. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have heroin 
and you're an addict and you had the money, yeah, everything works out. Yeah, there's no, and if no you problem. Had, if mm-hmm. you had an everlasting amount of money, you you're could good be to go. a heroin addict until you die. Correct. But everything's working well between the system. Right. The yeah. system's kept its integrity. Right. Now, you no longer have the money. Yeah. I'm not giving you the heroin. Correct. Or if I'm no longer selling heroin, you can have the money, but you're not just getting heroin. Right. So you either change your ways with things, but that's yeah. how the the whole process breaks down. Mm-hmm. And then it gets interesting from there. Like yeah. if you don't have the money. Well, you're, you're going to get creative on how you get that money. You're going to get creative on how you find the money. Mm-hmm. And we all know that creativity brings a different element. A different set of issues. Yeah, yes. a different element. Yes. And that's where I look at this as the same thing. Yes. It's all we need is one or two bad stories of this. And all of a sudden society will yeah. spin on a dime and be like, nope. Nope. If I zero tolerance. Yes. And the biggest thing I would see with that is spreading a disease. Yes. Because this is back where history, where mm-hmm. I think people in history, they were doing this because, again, medicine wasn't helping them out in a lot of areas. Right. Either, like I said, a depression, anxiety, or, or something, um, you know, some sort of deficiency in some sort of vitamin or mineral or something that they would normally get out of regular existence. Mm-hmm. And someone would take a, a, a slug of blood, a cup or whatever, yep. and get this rush, this the euphoria, vitality. This, mm-hmm. this euphoria of feeling better. And then I think the problem was, was the blood-borne pathogens and the disease yep. in the blood. Yep. And that's, I think this is one of those examples of blood was being used as medicine, mm-hmm. and I bet it was very widely accepted. I bet it was fine. I mean, you even got the stories of hunters where, you know, that first kill you have, you, you have to the drink heart, the, you have to eat the, the blood. and drink the blood yep. to become, you know, to become one, one with, with the, animal the animal and, and mm-hmm. understand the whole circle of hunting. That's a very common story up to this day. Yeah. Now here's, and that's where I look at it as acceptable in the past. Mm-hmm. And everyone was doing this. And then rabies outbreaks come through. Yeah. And these other outbreaks come through. And now... It's a whole different, whole right. different deal. Yep. It's a whole different set of circumstances, and that's what really got me. Uh, how how can I put it? That was the thing I didn't see coming into this when we started it. Yeah, it was all about the old stories. I understood yeah. the old stories. I understood it is what the, it is. Yeah, they and didn't even know the transition of how we have the more superstition. We have the more sensitive vampire now yes you know the the more romantic one and and it's it's cool to be a vampire yeah like right now it can't be cooler to be a vampire yeah yeah where back then it was the worst thing that could ever happen that could ever happen yeah and it's i think that's the attribute of creativity and writing yes in fiction yeah. Because, again, you always got to kind of re- reinvent the story, reinvent the story, reinvent the story. Yeah. So what's amazing to me with vampires is we have what was once the worst thing you could ever be. Become and now it's the coolest. The coolest thing. Yeah. yeah. It's so hipster. 
Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> so here's the big question. Yeah. What do we got going on next? Next, we are getting into poltergeists. Yes. Yes. I'm most excited. And I've already started the research. And I'm going to have so many stories. <laughs> like, for reals, yo. It's a pretty cool topic, though. It is. It really, truly is. And again, is. this is another old topic. It that's is. That's been around a long well, time. Well, it's referenced here. Yeah. It's funny how all of these are referenced together. Yeah, and I think that's why it's good that we're doing all of these topics on these yeah. levels because they really all do tie in. And it's, now that you have the foundations, yeah, it'll make a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah. And you can see how people jumped to the conclusions that they jumped to. Yeah, this is where... I like this framework we're starting with before we get into the really special the juicy stories. Deets. No, but just the special stories, yeah. you know, and uh, and that's why we're not eliminating those stories. We just figured we'd go with this bird's eye view, yep, uh, approach, and then starting in February, tease you, yeah, starting in February, we're getting into the specifics, yeah, and the specific stories. So, on that note. I'd say vampires is a wrap. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. If you know of someone that would be interested, feel free to share our little podcast that could with whoever you think would find it interesting. And I know our title is Oh, the Horror, but I think you've kind of figured out by now that it's not so gruesome no. and and gory. No. So, you know, if there are people who are like, oh, I don't like horror. I mean. If they don't like horror, have them listen to our first episode of Haunted, Haunted Houses, Houses, which appears to be. A nice gateway. Appears to be the, the most popular episode we have so far. It's yeah. gotten the most response. It's gotten the most feedback. Yes. Uh, we would love to do more stuff like that. However, Haunted Houses was a lot of work. It that was, was a ton of work. It and, really was. And we're we're trying to figure out the balance. That's been the hard part of this podcast. Yes. Yeah. Figuring out the hard the hard stops and the and the and the spots where we need to be flexible. So our website has all of our information, correct? Yes. If you were to spread the knowledge of our podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you direct everybody to OhTheHorrorPodcast.com. And do we have an email address? Yes, we do. It's O-T-H at SeriouslyDecent.com. So if you've got an interesting topic or if you've got a story or if there's something you'd like to share, feel free to drop us a line and who knows, it could be part of an episode. It could be part of the episode or part of the show. Yeah. Or we'll at least name drop you and say thanks for listening. Absolutely. Connecting in, if you so desire. But yes, we definitely, with the way social media platforms are kind of in a weird way right now, we would really appreciate if you directed people to the site. The website is the best place to find us. It's 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 got links to all of the, the platforms, if you will. Correct. So whatever your preferred method is, it's all there. 
Yes, yes. We have all our episodes where you can listen to directly. Yep. And your preferred um, your preferred platforms to listen, which right now it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and then there's the classic RSS feed yep. that you can grab. Our social media presence is on there, so you yes. can connect to our Facebook group, Yep. our Instagram account, and we're looking at making a YouTube presence of some kind. We're still figuring that out. So if you click it and it's empty, we're well aware. <laughs> It'll be there. We don't know when. You know, we are we are grassroots here. We are a yep. little mom and pop podcast. Yeah. Still in the dining room. We are working on a studio. We're working the way in the studio. However, thank you so much for listening. We're going to wrap this up. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening. Stick with us and we'll stick with you. Thank you. Thank you.